Hello, and welcome to Politics in a Movie with your hosts, Doug and Mike. I'm Doug. And I'm Mike. And this week's episode, the 1968 election and the Blues Brothers. Now, as always, we want to give a big thank you to our behind-the-scenes technician, Frenchie. Or as he likes to say, Mike, uh, merci beaucoup. (laughs) So let's see what we have today, Mike. In today's episode, we're going to revisit one of our favorite segments, uh, user comments. Great. And so let's see. Let's ask Frenchie. He's compiled some for us. Okay. From I Love Fortnite, Mike's research on smoking was in-depth and engrossing. No pun intended. (laughs) Well, good. They like your research, Mike. Yeah. People were paying attention. Next one here is from Shay. They say, this guy, Mike, seems to have quite some knowledge on politics. Well, that's true. You do, Mike. You do. You are very knowledgeable about politics. Thank you, Shay. Look at that. Everyone so far, Frenchie likes the ones where people are complimenting you, Mike. (laughs) One more quick one here. From T. Flick, please do an episode about caucuses and the movie Election. Hmm. I agree. Uh, caucuses and primaries are kind of confusing. And I have seen the movie Election. I assume they're talking about the Reese Witherspoon movie. And, and that was pretty good. And it's not a, not a bad idea. Yeah. Well, so thank you for the suggestion. Uh, we always welcome suggestions and uh sometimes we like to pick films that aren't necessarily a direct correlation but you know we appreciate the suggestions all right well mike i'm eager to hear your take on the 1968 election sure uh 1968 crazy year so much going on in in the country there was the vietnam war there was protests about the vietnam war there were assassinations Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy. It was it was just a very volatile year in politics and really in, in the country in general. So the 1968 election, as you might recall, Lyndon Baines Johnson was our president. He became president in 1963 with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And uh, he won in 1964. And in 1968, he was running for the first time for re-election. I believe they called that guy LBJ. LBJ, yes. And I think, you know, when they do retrospectives of LBJ, I think one of the most used clips that you'll see is his announcing that he's not running for the 1968 election. And he says, I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party in the Democratic primary. You often see that. He, He did that in the address to the nation as presidents do from the Oval Office. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Announcing that he wasn't running for election. And it was a shock. I think a lot of people were shocked because Mm. it seemed to be a acknowledgement of defeat so early, you know, before he's even run. But really what had happened was sentiment was, was was low in the country because of the Vietnam War. Young people were getting involved and protesting And another couple of candidates had entered the race to run against this now sitting president, which is unusual, as you know. Right. And so 
The first, I think, may I don't know if he was the first, but in November of 1967, Eugene McCarthy, senator from Minnesota, announced that he was running. And he was seen as the anti-war candidate, you know, appeared to be very well supported by the young people who were out protesting. And uh, I think that he jumped in when, uh, you know, these organizers, their preferred candidate would have been Bobby Kennedy. But Kennedy didn't want to run at the time in November of 1967. He was a supporter of Johnson. He was a senator from New York at the time. He had been attorney general under Johnson and under, of course, his brother, John F. Kennedy. So he hadn't joined the race. But McCarthy did so well and was attracting so much attention. And there was so much discord about the Vietnam War that uh, Bobby Kennedy ended up joining the race. Both McCarthy and Kennedy were starting to do well in the Democratic primaries, even you know after Johnson left, of course. And then in April, not long after Johnson announced that he wasn't going to run, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Oh, And there's a famous clip of uh, Robert F. Kennedy on the campaign stump in Indiana responding to a crowd and announcing to this crowd. It's actually a pretty dramatic clip where Kennedy announces that Martin Luther King has been shot and the crowd gasps. I mean, it's really quite a moment. Right. Some very sad news for all of you. And I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight. In so anyway, Kennedy is in the race and Eugene McCarthy's in the race. And, um, you know, they're, they're both doing well. Humphrey is in the race. Humphrey was Johnson's um, vice president. So now with Johnson, Johnson not running, his vice president, Hubert Humphrey, also coincidentally a, a Minnesotan, like um, oh. Eugene McCarthy. So it was interesting that Eugene McCarthy is a senator from Minnesota running against a former senator, now vice president, also from Minnesota, Hubert Humphrey. Oh, so, so a, a Minnesotan. Yes, a Minnesotan. Minnesotan. How do you say it? <laughs> Minis I, I said Minnesotan. Minnesotan. <laughs> <laughs> you got to use the accent, Mike. You, yeah, yeah, you, you betcha. I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to a few words you might hear in Minnesota. You betcha is how Minnesotans say, you're welcome. You might say, thanks for taking so much time out of your day to make this video. And I might respond, you betcha. Now, now this uh, McCarthy fella, is he like the McCarthy? Because like, there's, no, okay, no, he's not the was, famous McCarthyism no, guy. No, Eugene McCarthy was not Joe McCarthy. Oh, right. So that was the guy. Joe, Joe McCarthy was, yeah, nope. All right. So, you know, you got to keep these McCarthy's straight over time. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a lot of them. There, that's yeah. a name in my family, in fact. So in June, Robert F. Kennedy wins the California primary and he's in the hotel and also famous clip. He says, OK, now we're on to Chicago. My thanks to all of you. And now it's on to Chicago and let's win there. Because Chicago is where the, um, the Democratic Convention right. was held that year. Yeah. So a little tie-in to our next topic. Yes, yes. Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. And who said that? RFK? RFK. And how, and how did he sound when he said that, if you had to do Oh, that? he sounded euphoric. He was ready and he was excited. And the crowd screams, you know, they're, you know, they're happy because yeah. he's now in the race. And, and look, we're going to bring the Kennedy, you know, Camelot back to the White House, you know. And, 
but moments later, right, Doug, he's shot. Yeah. And uh he doesn't die immediately, but um within within the evening, you know, he he passes away. And it yeah, and that's crazy, Mike. So much trauma in that era. Yeah. Yeah. So here we now we're in June of 1968. Martin Luther King King has been assassinated. Robert F. Kennedy has been assassinated. And John Kennedy, years earlier, not so many years earlier, was assassinated. I I think people must have felt like the world was ending. I mean, it was just crazy. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. So, um, you know, they get to Chicago. That's where the Democratic Convention was. And as I said earlier, there was a lot of rioting around the uh, the convention and a lot of young people. And there's video of the Chicago cops hitting these student protesters with billy clubs. Right. And, uh, you know, there's movies like the Chicago 7, which was nominated for Academy Awards recently, which is about these protesters, Tom Hayden and Abby Hoffman, who is portrayed by Sasha Baron Cohen. Wow, he's very nice. But yeah, the, the the Democratic conventions in Chicago and um, Humphrey wins the nomination against McCarthy. Right. And hum- Humphrey wins and chooses as his running mate, Ed Muskie of Maine, uh-huh. who, later, who later becomes Secretary of State under Jimmy Carter. On a personal note, he, after he had been Secretary of State, he took a ride in my car from the airport in Washington, D.C. Oh, my, as you remember, I worked for Congressman Joe Brennan of Maine mm. and uh, they were coming home. They were coming to Washington together and uh, I was picking up Joe Brennan at the airport and Brennan comes to my, to my passenger side door and says, can we give Secretary Muskie a ride? I was oh. like, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> so, uh, so I gave uh, Ed Muskie a, a ride up to Capitol Hill oh, from, from nice. the airport in Washington. Yeah. yeah so was he a polite passenger? Oh, well. He and he and my boss, the congressman, were talking the whole time, and I was just the driver. So, right. but it was nice enough. Tall guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and anyways, and Nixon chooses Spiro Agnew as uh, as his running mate. Yeah. Well, I just you know I love uh, the the political names of these folks. Yes. You know, back in the day, Spiro yeah. Muskie. I mean, you know, yeah, just like fun names. Spiro Agnew. He was from Maryland. He was. Nixon's running mate in 68 and Nixon mm-hmm. and Agnew win. Right. They, they beat uh, Humphrey and Muskie and they get 301 electoral college votes, which is considered a pretty good win. You need 270. So 301 is what they got. And they got 31,783,783 votes. Oh, and okay. Humphrey Muskie got 191 to Nixon's 301. Right. So it's 301 to 191 Electoral College, and the popular vote's pretty close 31,783 to 31,271. You know, it was a landslide by Electoral College standards, but pretty close in the popular vote. Right. So, oh, and Ronald Reagan, who had been governor of California, also was a candidate in the primary of 1968, ah. briefly, but didn't do as well, obviously, as, uh, as uh, Nixon. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he later on, of course, would yep. stick, he'd stick around. That's right. Now, finally, I'll just add there was a third candidate in 1968, oh. George Wallace. 
Oh, okay. George Wallace was from Alabama, and he received 46 Electoral College votes and 9.9 million. And he was the Dixiecrat candidate. Ah. And uh, he was a segregation candidate. Right. He was in favor of segregation. And there's a clip of him in Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. Or another movie where he says, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. From this cradle of the Confederacy, I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Right. And uh, Forrest Gump talks about, that man was, fat. <laughs> I forget what he says, but it shows <laughs> he, he, he was shot as well, but did not die. Anyway, that's the, um, the 1968 election with all its craziness and, and you know, I mean, the, the world was just. Yeah, uh, we, things we were made certainly through, in turmoil. In turmoil, yeah. But, you know, we made it through. Nixon um, was reelected after that in 1972, but that's another, another topic. Right. And we know, of course, he went through Watergate as well, which we covered in our earlier podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike. I learned a number of things from that segment. Sure. Yeah. Interesting election. All right. Well, uh, as you noted, Chicago ties into our uh, our movie. And our movie is The Blues Brothers. Yeah. Classic. Now, uh, Blues Brothers, that movie came out in 1980. Uh, it stars uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, and uh, and the film did really well. Uh, I mean, it was it made uh, made a lot of money, became very popular. Yeah, <laughs> great soundtrack. Yes, and Mike, can you guess how many Academy nominations the film mustered? Oh wow, um, two. <laughs> Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I yes. figured. It, I mean, it wasn't a serious movie, but no, no, no. this is not. Yeah. This is not a film where the Academy is, you know, giving a yeah. nod. Uh, it's not one of the. Uh, oh, I'd like to thank the Academy uh, <laughs> films. Right. Uh, but you know, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, uh, you know, both of them very well known from Saturday Night Live at the time. Those guys were really good friends, and so. Um, they would do skits together in SNL, and they wanted uh, you know to team up in a movie, and uh, and it was a huge hit. I'll note that they also were talking about uh, doing Ghostbusters together. Wow! So John Belushi was originally scheduled to be in Ghostbusters, but um, unfortunately, John Belushi passed in 1982, passed yeah. away, and Ghostbusters wasn't filmed until 1984. So. Yep. Uh, but this, uh, this, the Blues Brothers, 1980. Um, I mean, really a spectacular film, uh, a singular film in so many ways. I mean, it's sort of touted as a comedy musical, but it has so many different uh, facets to it that uh, you know, to me, are very intriguing. It's interesting to note that the screenplay was written by Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. And it's the first time that he ever tried to write a screenplay. And so he didn't know what he was doing and it was not in the right format. And it was three times the number of pages that a normal screenplay is. <laughs> so he really had to cut it down. It's kind of a live action cartoon. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of, yeah. 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 Like, lots you know, people firing aspects. guns, but nobody gets hit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if anyone really, well, I guess, I guess there's a death maybe in the end, but. 
um, you know, that's a Nazi. Oh, right. He's yeah. a bad guy. No soup for you. Chicago, the city, plays a huge role in the film. Yes. Um, you know, and if you love Chicago or know anything about it, uh, you know, you'll find all a lot of these scenes, particularly, you know, because they're from the past now. Uh, very interesting. Right. Yeah. Another thing of the film that kind of is its own character is the bluesmobile. You know, the car they use. Yeah. That thing is uh, this old police car. So it's really sturdy. It's built like a tank. It kind of, you know, it reminds me in high school, I knew a guy who had a car just like that. Yeah. Uh, like a he- like it was solid steel. <laughs> and and whenever he and he was uh, he was a crazy driver. And whenever he would bang into things like I remember once I was in the car with him and he he skidded out and slid into a uh, a stop sign. And his car was such a freaking tank. It just sheared the stop sign right off and there was no damage to his car. <laughs> Sounds like a scene from the movie. Yeah, and that's exactly what that damn bluesmobile is like. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and they have all these crazy scenes in the film, like that they're getting chased in the bluesmobile, and they go, they crash through the wall of a mall and drive through the shopping mall, destroying everything. <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's a great scene, and that, that that shopping mall is a real mall. It had been closed a year prior, and that's that's a, a great scene where they're they're crashing through the mall, knocking over kiosks crashing through you know different stores and dan Aykroyd and john belushi are just calm behind the wheel and they would say things like oh they got a pier one here <laughs> baby clothes this place has got everything classic scene you know and then they and then they have an, a, a tiny apartment you know in chicago where you know, because parking is so hard to find, they've got this tiny space where once they park the car, they got to climb out the windows because the doors can't open. <laughs> and Mike, that reminded me of when I had a car uh, at a college and I had to have a really tight spot and I had to do the same thing. So lots of things in this movie rang true to me, Mike. Yeah. Did you have an Oldsmobile or a Buick or something? I, I, I think I did have an old uh, Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile <laughs> Cutlass. So before we get into the meat of the film, I just wanted to uh, note that I love the beginning of the film where uh, Dan Aykroyd picks up John Belushi from prison. Uh, he's just getting out of prison after a couple of years. And he says, you know, you promised uh, to go see the penguin. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, I didn't mean it. And so uh, they drive to this church where they go meet like the head nun uh, who they nicknamed the penguin. <laughs> and uh, and they're up there. And she's like, hello, boys. You know, and she tells them the story of how the orphanage is going to have to close unless they can raise $5,000. And the Blues Brothers are like, yeah, we'll get you that money, no problem. And she's like, no way, I'm not accepting your, you know, dirty, stolen money. And they, and they say something like, uh, you know, well, shit, what are you going to do then? You're up Shit's Creek. And she says, no cursing. And she pulls out this long wooden ruler and smacks him. And I don't know if you were ever in Catholic school, Mike. Yes, I was. Yeah, but those penguins—they will smack the hell out of you with those rulers, and and so she will. Yeah, and so she smacks him, and uh, and then Dan Aykroyd says, "What the hell?" And so she smacks him for cursing, and he curses again because now it hurts, and so she and she smacks the other one, and they're all cursing, and she's just going between the two of them, smacking them in the face with this wooden ruler and then it breaks and then she goes to her desk and picks up a longer steel ruler 
<laughs> and she's just like, you know, going at them like a samurai, you know, whack, 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 and knocks them down the staircase. Anyway, uh, classic scene, Mike. Classic nun violence. <laughs> As you noted, the music in the film, uh, you know, really makes it fabulous. It does. Um, and they, and the cast that they picked, you know, were real musicians. Uh, well, first of all, they're real musicians that, you know, the Blues Brothers have to get together to, to you know, form the band again so they can raise the 5,000 bucks, right? Yep. But then there's also all kinds of cameos from, you know, um, folks like uh, James Brown. Cat yeah. Calloway. John yeah. Lee, John Lee Hooker. How, 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 how. Ray Charles. Aretha Franklin. You better think, think, think about what's trying to do to me. Yeah. Think, think, think. All the musicians in the band are real. Yeah. You know, great musicians. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and they all have, you know, music, music scenes, which are yes. really well done. You know, the, I mean, the choreography is fun. And like in a lot of mu musicals, Mike, you know, like the, the movie sort of pauses reality when the yeah. music number takes off. <laughs> right. And so they do that in, in a, you know, comedic ways. I love how James Brown, he's a preacher and he's yeah. like doing flips down the, uh, the center <laughs> aisle of the church yeah. as he's singing. Yeah. Well, that church scene, that's the first big music number and it's awesome. You know, they're, they're getting into it and, and it's a gospel church yeah. so they're right. singing gospel music and they're dancing oh. back there's a gospel choir singing behind him yeah. yeah yeah and mike that reminds me of a time i was in new orleans nolens as they say uh for the jazz festival one year yeah and it's a huge thing nolens jazz festival you know people haven't checked that thing out and they're interested in music i mean that is a place to go but um and they have different kind of tents at the jazz fest for different kinds of styles of music. And one of the tents, which is a hugely popular one, is the gospel tent. And I remember I went to that tent and it was like that scene out of this movie where yeah. they're just like shaking their hands in the air and singing gospel music and just, you know, it's just fabulous. Well, I, he's not with us anymore, James Brown, but I did see him live. Oh, me way, too? Way, did you? Okay. Yeah. Way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad glad to have had that moment. Yeah. And so out of the church scene, they're now, they had an epiphany. And so now, this is a very famous line from the film, now they're on a mission from God. <laughs> We're on a mission from God. And Dan Aykroyd says, says that line a bunch of times, like, you know, they'll be approaching people, explaining what they have to do, and, and the people would say things like you're crazy and then he would say we're on a mission from god <laughs> another great scene is uh in downtown chicago they've got like uh ray's music exchange yep where they show to get uh instruments and there's you know ray charles they have a great scene where they doubt the ability of this one piano keyboard and ray charles says uh you know well, let me show you how it works and you know just breaks out jams on the thing and there's a big musical number and it goes into the street and there's, you know, hundreds of people dancing 
And apparently they're all just uh, random folks that they pulled together because the director didn't want professional choreographers. Oh. Uh, and so that that's a fun scene. There's this like a mixture of all kinds of people of different yeah. ages. There's kids like doing little dances and it's uh and it's fun. It's always funny when when uh Belushi and Accurate are dancing in those black suits because they're so serious, yet here <laughs> they are, you know, shaking their tail feather to Ray Charles, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, then then there's a scene uh, somewhere in the middle of the movie where they they have the band together. They don't have any gigs lined up. So, but they they lie to the band and say, "Yeah, we got a gig tonight." And they just drive around aimlessly until they stumble across Bob's Country Bunker, where they say, "Yeah, this is what we're playing." And they go in and just uh, you know, scan their way in there and say, "We're the band." And they get up there. And of course, you know, they're rhythm and blues and they're in a country western club <laughs> and they've got a sort of figure out what they're what they have to play to keep everyone happy. They find that the crowd loves to hear the song Rawhide. <laughs> which is uh, you know, which is a pretty easy song to sing, Mike, if you're ever doing karaoke. <laughs> I actually was doing karaoke with some friends and I have this one friend who would, you know, every time we'd go, he'd refuse to sing. He's like, "No, I can't do it. I can't do it." Finally, I got him to sing a song, Mike, and he and he sang, he uh, he agreed to sing Rawhide. <laughs> So he's up there and he's totally nervous. And I remember to this day, he's just like, you know, rolling, 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 raw hide. <laughs> I like that scene because it's Ackroyd did the singing for that. Yes. He's do, he's singing like, you know, round him up. And John Belushi seems almost like uninterested. He's like, lead him out. Round him <laughs> up. Get him up. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. He's just shouting the, the you know, <laughs> the filler line, you know? Yeah. And then somehow he finds a bullwhip, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pulls it out, and he's cracking the whip. Get him out. <laughs> <laughs> but my, I love earlier, before they get to that scene, when they're rounding up the band, and they need to get this guy, Matt Guitar Murphy, was yep. working as a fry cook at his wife's restaurant. Yes. And yeah, that is, I love that scene. And because it's Aretha. Yeah. And Aretha is wearing like a greasy, you know, waitress outfit. Mm -hmm. And she just, you know, hits the notes. She's because she's Aretha Franklin, you know, yeah. Yeah. and she, she sings uh think. Yeah. And I don't even know. I'll bet. I'll bet. I don't know, but I'll bet those waitresses who were singing like the back, She'd go, you better think. And they'd go, think. And like, I was yeah. thinking, I'll bet those are her real backup singers. I don't know. But then, you know, the whole restaurant are dancing to her singing, think. And uh, of course, the grim faced blues brothers who never like smile or anything. They just do the, the dance moves that yeah. are just as wild and, you know, throwing up kicks, you know, and stuff, but they're just like, you know, stone face in their black, yeah. you know, white fedoras just doing these dances with the dancers. It's just funny. Yeah, yeah, that that's a great scene. 
And while they're rounding up the the band, they go to this fancy French restaurant to get that one guy, right? Yeah. And it's a real restaurant too. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And also, sorry, I, I had yeah. to add this. The same restaurant, Chez Paul, that Ferris Bueller goes to. Oh, it is. Really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, and the and the maitre d. I remember in Ferris Bueller, the maitre d is uh, <laughs> you know just as uptight as he's supposed to be in this one. Yeah, you know, and uh, he shakes his head. One of my favorite lines of Ferris Bueller, Mike, is where he like shakes his head and he says, "I weep for the future." <laughs> I weep for the future. Um, yeah, but yeah, well, the so ma- they- the maitre d and the Blues Brothers is a band member who they're trying to get recruit back into the band that's right yeah so yeah. they cause a ruckus to get him fired basically <laughs> um yeah and i don't know if you noticed but uh the waiter who's serving them is peewee herman oh i i think i heard that but didn't uh i didn't notice i wish i was looking for it yeah i didn't notice that wow yes peewee in a serious uh in a serious role you know because yeah. he's not goofing around he's not yeah. doing any classic peewee-isms You know, speaking of cameos, here's one that I really was surprised by. Steven Spielberg is in the film. I I heard that too, but I didn't catch it. What 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 yeah. is he in the film? He's the guy at the very end who accepts the five thousand dollars when the Blues Brothers pay for the orphanage's uh, oh, taxes. Yeah, like at the at the government office that yeah, they go to. At the yeah. very end. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. I love all the Chicago scenery. I just think like even that where they're they're chasing and, and they're saying they need to get to the Richard J. Daly Plaza, which is right. where the government building is. Belushi says to Ackroyd, oh, yeah, with the Picasso, that plaza is known for this Picasso sculpture. Oh, that's that's in. Yeah, that's in. the And they get there and they're that's it's shown, you know, prominently in that scene when they get to the Richard J. Daly Plaza. Yeah, and we really do get to see a lot of Chicago because yeah. they're chasing the Blues Brothers. Like, uh, there's right. a whole stream of police cars, like a hundred right. police cars that are chasing yeah. them. And did you know, Mike, that this uh, this movie got the record for most cars destroyed in a movie at the time? Yeah, wow, a hundred and four cars. And you know, I read that they were, you know, they had a, a group of folks that were, you know, tasked to to acquire all these cars. And they were literally just buying the most beat up rundown cars, like a couple hundred bucks a car. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, painting them up with, uh, you know, saying police on the side and then just wrecking them. And it's it's just hilarious how many cars they're just wrecking, you know, per minute in the film in the end. But my favorite scene in the whole movie, Mike, is where they they finally get the big venue to play for the band to raise the money to save the church. And it's at the palace hotel and they've got the band there and it's packed with, with a crowd, you know, so there really is a large crowd of people there. And the song that kicks off that show at the palace, you know, before the blues brothers arrive, because they got to sneak in. Yep. uh, Is performed by cab Calloway where he sings mini butcher. Yeah, and then, you know, it shows the Blues Brothers. They're, like, sneaking into the theater outside, and they're creeping through the bushes and trying to avoid the police. And and during that scene, you hear 
Cab Calloway and the band still singing like faintly yeah. in the background because it's inside and in right. the building. Right. And so, so they play that whole song. Like he sings that whole song, and it's just going on through the whole yep. extended scene there. He gave her things that she was yeah, and then they wrap it up with, um, yes. you know, of course the Blues Brothers go back to jail because you know, yep. of all the crimes. But uh, <laughs> but they did save the church, they saved the orphanage, yep. and now they're back in jail. And of course the whole band is in jail with them, so they're playing. <laughs> Jailhouse Rock. They're, They're playing singing. Jailhouse, Jailhouse Rock. Rock. Yeah. yeah, and they and they uh, the credits roll with that whole song getting played out. Yeah, and, and that's fantastic. And then they do, uh, and then they have, you know, people singing. And th- and then they have yeah, that's people, right. Yeah, then they have people from the movie singing the little uh, reprisal right. for Jailhouse Rock and the little uh, outtake scenes. Right. And then they have, uh, and then they have the whole crew of the movie. They show the whole crew like right. gathered together, yeah. you know, singing one of the lines from Jailhouse Rock. And just a just a fabulous movie, Mike. Just uh, you know, with all the music and the comedy and and that moment in time that you know we would never get to see reproduced in any other uh, movies, given right. that John Belushi passed away. Um, yeah, no, but even as you say that, I'm thinking all that Chicago scenery and everything. Yeah. You know, that's such a moment in time. All right, Mike. Well, I think we've completed our little mission from Gad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so for all of us here at Politics and a Movie, thank you for listening. And you can check out our website at politicsandamovie.com. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Frenchie. Thank you, everybody. Who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? Three orange whips. <laughs>